4 and 19. Amen. So we started week before last down a path that I thought was kind of laid out in front of us out of 1 Corinthians 13 where we find 15 distinguishing characteristics of of God's love, what I call the love. And um, we see that we've been given the God kind of faith and faith is brought to life and energized by, um, by love. Love is to your faith what fuel is to your car. And if we have the God kind of faith, then we need the God kind of love. And because love is so important, it's um, no uh, wonder that Satan has a lot, a lot of people in our world confused about what love really is. But Father has provided in his word two places where we can know the truth. The first is in the life of Jesus because he demonstrated the love of God for us. And then we find, of course, in other places, but 1 Corinthians chapter 13, often referred to as the love chapter, a descriptive, um, as we said, 15 distinguishing characteristics. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't partially cover it. It thoroughly covers it, what, what the love really is. And so we started, like I said, a couple of weeks ago, and my plans... Um, how many of you know my plans, we want them to bow their knee should the Lord have other plans. My plans were to come in here last week and just kind of start knocking those things down like dominoes. We were just going to work our way through the 15 characteristics. We were going to look at what those words mean in the Greek. We were going to look at the verses that explain, expand upon those words. And the Holy Spirit really prompted me to put the brakes on that because until we understand the capacity that we have to love like Jesus loved, going through those characteristics as if they're, you know, commands or demands without understanding the flow of these things in and through our lives would have been, in it, would have been doing people a disservice, maybe even an injustice. Let me just, I just, a few things that's on my heart that I need to share with you, okay? Um, Dr. Neil Anderson, um, he, he says, he's made a few statements that have really impacted me now for many years. And he says that most born-again people, listen very carefully, this will change your life now. He says most people are laboring under half the gospel. Half of it as opposed to all of it. And the half that people tend to labor under are all of the commandments or instructions, things that we are told to do in the word of God. Now, a part of our study right now 
is John 13, 34, where Jesus says, a new commandment I give you. New meaning like fresh off the press, hot off the press, newly minted, whatever. When he said these commandments, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, those are certainly important, and Jesus emphasized those, but those were not new in the sense that they had already been issued in the Old Testament. New commandment means never been given before. The new commandment is the law of love where Jesus says that we are to love others as he, as he loved us. It's one thing to love your neighbor as yourself. It's another thing to love your neighbor the way Jesus loves you. Okay? Now you think, well, he just took an impossibility and made it twice as impossible. If you're talking about doing it on your own, then yes. That's what we mean by half the gospel. That's what Dr. Anderson means by half the gospel. He's saying that when preachers and teachers of the word stand in the pulpit and emphasize week after week after week um, what you should do if you're going to be a good Christian and how you should live if you're going to be a good Christian and what you should live up to and what you should obey and all these other things, Um, If that's all we ever hear, we're only hearing half, okay? Now, I don't have slides on this, so just stay with me for a few few minutes, okay? I've got some slides, maybe we'll get to them, maybe we won't. He goes on to say that there are two key words that fit with all of this that will help us better understand what he's talking about. And those words, they're bigger words, may not be words that you use on a, on a daily basis. To be honest with you, with all due respect to him, I've tried to find, you know, less cumbersome words to use, but I, I just really feel, number one, to honor our brother and the revelation the Lord gave him about this, but also um, I think those words capture it best, even though they're big words, maybe a little bit cumbersome, okay? And those two words are these. The first one is the word imperative. Now, stay with me if you think this is English class. It's not. Just stay with me, okay? Imperative. Anybody remember imperatives from English class, okay? What is an imperative? An imperative is something that that spells out a commandment, an instruction, a duty, a responsibility, okay? And what we find in the Bible, and, and we could talk about Old and New Testament, but let's just focus, since we're New Testament believers, let's focus on the New Testament for a moment, okay? What we find in the New Testament are all kinds of imperatives. What do we mean by that? All kinds of verses that exist in the Bible to spell out to you and me. We sang it a while ago, you know I want to please you, Lord. It spells out all of these verses that a man or a woman, a child of God, a born-again man or woman, should live up to. Things that we should be doing and ways that we should be living and, and, and how we should be behaving, right? Um, you know, forsake not the assembly of yourselves together. Uh, love others as Jesus has loved you. Um, uh, give, and it shall be given unto you. There's all, all of these instructions for life, commandments, they all fall into the category of verses that, that would be considered imperative. These are things that um, we as, the, as God's people uh, do uh, as unto the Lord uh, on planet earth uh, as His body, the body of Christ, okay? Now, is, is all of that in there? Yes. Is all of that important? Yes. Is all of that valid? Yes, okay? But that's the half of the gospel 
that most people hear every Sunday morning, every Wednesday night, every time they get together and hear a sermon, it's somebody standing in front of them telling them what they should do, how they should live uh, from the Bible, and what's probably going to happen to them if they don't, you know, kind of throw that in there to kind of get a little you know, uh, motivation, so to speak, uh, worldly motivation, carnal motivation in people's lives. So there's a whole other category of verses. And that, that whole other category of verses, it represents the other half of the gospel that most people don't understand. Maybe they've heard a little bit about it. Maybe they've found a little bit about it in, in the Bible, but they don't, they don't really understand um, where all that fits in. And so all of these are going to be verses that fall under the heading of indicatives. Okay, I-N-D-I-C-A-T-I-V-E-S, an indicative, right? So what is a verse that qualifies as an indicative? Don't overthink it. Um, if, if something is an indicative, that means it serves to indicate so when an, an imperative, a, a verse of Scripture that falls into the category of an imperative, again, this is one that's commanding you to do something. It's one that's telling you what to do and, and, and maybe even how to do it, okay? But an indicative is a passage of Scripture that stands alone. It's not, it's not a verse that tells you uh, something to do. It's a, it's a passage of Scripture. Pardon the English. It's bad English, but it's good, it's good theology. It's good doctrine, okay? It's a verse that tells you who you be. It's not a doing verse. It's a being verse, okay? So you understand, um, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. That's, that's, an, that's a, a, an imperative, okay? Um, if any man's in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation, right? He who knew no sin became sin for you so that you might become the righteousness of God in him. So there's no commandment there. There's no instruction there. That verse exists in the Bible for the purpose of indicating to you and to me who we are and who we became the day we became a new creation in Christ Jesus. It's, it serves that purpose and that purpose alone. Now, if some of you are like me, when I was raised in church, I was fed a steady diet of imperatives. You understand what I mean by that? I sometimes, if I'm teaching with a whiteboard behind me where I can write, you know, the squeak, squeak, squeak it out there. Um, it, it, I'm being generous when I say it was 90% of the sermons I heard were imperative-based sermons or more. 10% or less of the sermons that I heard, if ever, were indicative-based sermons. Okay? And here, to make matters worse, if the indicatives were ever mentioned, they were mentioned, right, in the context of an imperative being a requirement for it. Are you with me? How about this one of my favorite? Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. 
right? And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but when we see him, we shall be like him. Why should we be called children of God? We should be called children of God because we are children of God. And whoever has this hope in him will purify his life even as Jesus himself is pure. See, it's 1 John 3, 1 through 3. Now, now notice though, there's no thou shalt or thou shalt not in that. He's trying to help you understand what became true about you the day you became a child of God. Do you realize how many verses? I told mom the other day, and I, I, I listen, it helps me to mention these things. It helps me to confess these things because the devil wants me to keep all this quiet and never release it. Okay, uh, come in one day, amen. Uh, it's in me to write a book that is from this snippet of scripture because you are sons what the bible says is because you're sons there are things that belong to you because you're sons and daughters of god not because you've earned it not because you've deserved it not because you've been good this week because you're his son you're his daughter there are rights blessings privileges and benefits that are yours because you've been born of his seed you have an inheritance from god not because you've been to church a thousand times and and you deserve something from him it's because you're his own so notice now again you hear the thou shouts all the things that you should be doing and and the context then if you hear an indicative is If you do all of this, you might one day become a saint. You might one day become God's son. This was the the restored son, right? We call him the prodigal son. Isn't it amazing we relate more to him as a prodigal than as someone God restored, right? But the story is he was restored. But notice he did not want his father to give him the ring and the shoes and the robe. He wanted his father to make him like a servant so he could try to earn his way back into right standing with his father. His father's offering it to him as a gift. He's rejecting the gift and saying, no, make me like a servant and let me try to do it myself. Let me try to earn it. Let me try to put myself back in a position where you owe me something and I deserve something from you. It's not how this works, not how any of this works. So, To make matters worse, we know more about the imperatives. You follow what an imperative is, right? The commandments. We know more about the commandments than we know about our identity, who we are, who we became the day we became a new creation of Christ, okay? And then a lot of preaching and teaching in our world today makes the uh, indicatives dependent upon the imperatives, meaning what? It's only true about you if you do this. But see, that's not how this works, not how any of this works. It's not that, listen now, this will change your life. It's not that the indicatives are dependent upon the imperatives. It's that the imperatives are dependent upon the indicatives. What does that mean? It means because he's made me righteous, guess what? I can live a righteous life now. Because he made me free, guess what I can do? I can get up on out of this church when it's over this evening and I can go home and live free. Because he made me free. Free is not a burden to bear. It's a privilege. It's an honor. It's, it's me living out my true identity. It's me being who he made me to be. Now, I'll tell you where this is. is, is I mean, you see it through all this out the scripture when, when your eyes become open to it. But I'll tell you where it's, where it's just so clearly obvious is in the book of Ephesians. This is one of the reasons why we did a 
don't know how many years study of the book of Ephesians. Okay. Is that the first three chapters in the book of Ephesians, for the most part, are primarily devoted to indicatives. It's not until you get to chapter 4, beginning the last. It's six chapters. First three, who you are in Christ, the love that he has for you, the love that he set upon you. Uh, he made you alive because you were once dead in your trespasses and sin, but because of his great love with which he loved us. Right? He's raised us up together and made us sit together. By grace you are saved. On and on and on and on and on. It's one page and chapter and verse of, a, of, of indicative after another, after another, after another. And only after the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul spends three of the most beautiful chapters in all the Word of God explaining these things to us, does he then begin chapter 4 by giving us practical instructions to walk out and carry out and live out in our lives. You see, who we are is what gives us the platform to do what it is that God's called us to do. Now, what does this have to do with the love? See, if I just come up here in here and tell you, you've got to be kind and you've got to be patient and you've got to be patient with people as long as they need you to be patient with them and you've got to have a smile on your face and mean it from your heart while you do it, you're just like, well, man, just forget this, dude. I'll never be perfected in love and I'll struggle with fear the rest of my life and just whatever, I'll be scared when it comes judgment day. Because perfected love, right, casts out fear, right? And, and perfected love means full-grown, well-rounded, mature love in our lives. It means we can have boldness on the day of judgment. It means that fear has torment, so perfect love casts out fear. Perfected love, right? You know, well-rounded, well-developed, well-matured love. See, this is what energizes. This is what fuels our faith. This is what, what enables us to operate at a, at a high level of faith. You, you, see, again, he gave you the measure of faith, but if you don't have um, the God kind of love to go along with the God kind of faith, your faith is not going to produce the kind of uh, results in your life that it would otherwise produce. But again, if I just walk up in here and start giving you 15 characteristics of the, you know, and you're like, man, you, you lost me at patient, dude. I'm, you know, I, I don't see, but, but here's the reality of it. Okay. Greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. Because the Holy Spirit lives in you now. You can. Don't say you won't. That's what we said last week. Don't say you can't. Say you won't. I'll say it correctly here in just a moment. Don't say you can't do it. Say you won't do it. All right? Now, where, where did I send you a while ago? In the, did I give you a Bible verse to turn to yet? Galatians 4.19. That's what I thought. I meant. All right. Let me, you stay right there. Stay right there in Galatians. You remember what I told you last week about discipleship? Here's where I'm going to try to end tonight, but just in case I don't get there to the ending, let me, let me, let me come back to it, okay? Uh, let me say it now because it's that important, right? When, when we talk about discipleship and growing and developing and maturing in the things of God, the greatest measure of this is not Bible knowledge. The greatest measure of this is, is, is not um, how many spiritual gifts you operate in. The greatest measure of this is even not how much faith you operate in. The greatest measure of our spiritual development and growth is that perfected love. You don't don't find other things in in the scriptures talked about, at least to this extent, um, you know, being perfected, being well-rounded, but it's it's being perfected in love. He says the the bond between uh, um, the, the love that we have for one another and that exists between members of the body of Christ, he says it's the bond of perfection. All right, now, let's look at 
So, thank you, Holy Spirit. So, remember now, um, you stay right there in Galatians where you're supposed to be, okay? <laughs> Luke 6.40, we looked at this verse last week. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Discipleship deals with these two uh, Greek words, manthano and didasko. And manthano is speaking, it's, it's the Greek word, we get our English words, uh, disciple and disciple, uh, discipleship, these kinds of things from. It's often translated in the scriptures as learning, but it is, it is a very high level of learning. And it corresponds with a very high level of teaching. And that teaching is didasko. We get our English didactic from it. Didasko is when the one who teaches is teaching for the purpose of reproducing or assimilating himself into the ones being taught. You see, Jesus didn't just come to tell us what he knew. He came to put himself inside of us. Okay? He told me something today that's, that has just, it's, I started just, I, I, and, I, and I'm almost tempted to do it right now. I started to come up here tonight and just start at the top and just start reading my notes to you from today, okay? But the Bible says that, um, that, that, that Jesus put, uh, he put on flesh. He, you see, Remember, the real use of spirit, I'm, if I get started on this, but let, let me just, help me, Holy Spirit, just say enough, okay? Just enough, amen. So, um, you see, he put himself inside of a physical body. Do you understand that? You ever wondered how you get a spirit inside a body? Now, obviously, demonic possession is the devil trying to hijack that, okay? But the only way to get a spirit inside of a human body is through a woman's womb. You have to be born. A spirit has to get a spirit inside. I'm talking about one of God's created being spirits. To get that spirit inside of a human body, it has to be born. That's why to get a new spirit in you, you had to be born a second time. So Jesus, in order to literally come to this earth in a human body, he had to be born into that body. And to be born into that body, he had to be born into that body as an infant. He didn't just show up one day like a Martian from another planet. Hello, I'm from heaven. No, he... Are you, are you following me? All right. He allowed himself, listen now, to be put in a human body so that he could put himself into your body. What's the great mystery that Paul said? Christ in you the hope of glory. If he had not been willing to be put inside of a human body, he would have never been able to put himself inside yours. Okay? Now, manthano didasko is the essence of discipleship. This is what discipleship is all about. 
Jesus called disciples unto himself. See, he taught a bunch of people, but remember, he never taught a multitude of people without a parable. He always used a parable when it was the multitudes. But remember, then after the multitudes would all go back to, you know, um, watching Andy Griffith or whatever, the disciples would still be sitting there wanting to know what, I like Andy, I'm not dissing him, I'm just saying, right? wanted to know what this meant. They wanted to know more. They wanted, they wanted to come at 5 o'clock on a, on a Wednesday to sit in the class for two hours and learn more. They wanted to know more about it, right? And we see that, thank God, Jesus taught them more, and we got to hear about it and learn it ourselves as well. Okay. But again, Jesus didn't just come to impress us, put on a show for us. He came to reproduce himself in us so that he went from being the only begotten to the firstborn now among many brethren. Verse after verse, we could go on and on, right? Um, as long as the, as the grain of wheat sits on a shelf, it abides alone. But if it falls into the ground and die, dies, it brings forth much fruit. All right, now, Luke 6.40 then is talking about this. We'll never be above him, but if we let him disciple us and teach us and train us, we will be just like him. We will be Christians. We will be Christ-like. Okay? Now, Galatians 4.19. Finally, we're here. This is a unique verse, and it requires a little unpacking, okay? My little children, this is Paul by the Holy Spirit speaking to the men and women that he labored among. He would go into these cities, and he would preach Jesus, and he would develop uh, converts. He would... He would get them full of the Holy Spirit. He would teach them. He would train a pastor uh, and and establish a church. And then as an apostle, he would go to another city and do it again and again and again and again. He did it in a place called Corinth. He did it in a place called Galatia. He did it in a place called Ephesus. He did it in a place called Thessalonica. And we get, of course, letters to these churches are the books of the Bible that bear those names. First and second Corinthians, two letters to the church at Corinth, so forth and so on. So he says, my little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Now, at first glance, this seems like a confusing passage. And the way it's translated, I guess I get that already. But he's not talking about them like needing to be born again a second time or born again again. He's saying, I labored in, uh, again. Words, he's talking about like a woman travailing to give birth. But he says, the first time I labored among you, I labored among you to see you born into the kingdom, to see Jesus, uh, Christ in you, the hope of glory, come and, and take up residence inside of you. you. Your spirit and his spirit become one spirit. Okay. He says, now I am laboring in birth again until Christ is formed in you. This word formed here is it's the only place we find it in the Bible and it's referring to an artisan who would take uh, like a sculptor and and who would literally form the image of something in uh, in, a, in some type of, of, of clay or stone or, or what have you and so what he's saying is that he's laboring among them until the image of Christ now, is, is, has become imprinted on their, on their souls, on their minds, not their spirit. You see, the first time he labored among them, it was for Jesus to come and dwell inside of them. Now he's laboring among them for the reality of the new birth inside of them to become an outward expression of life. This is discipleship. Let me give you this in the, in the message translation. He says, do you know how I feel right now? 
and will feel until Christ's life becomes visible in your lives, I feel like a mother in the pain of childbirth. So notice now, he's, he, notice what he's saying here. Until Christ's life becomes visible in your lives. Do you know that Christ's life can be in a man or a woman and it not be visible? This is why the Bible says from this point forward, we regard no man according to the flesh. We knew Jesus according to the flesh, but we know him thus no longer. Can't just look at the outward uh, physical part of a person. Doesn't tell the whole story because it can't tell the whole story. So this is from this verse is where, and, and some of you hear me say it so much that, that, that um, I've heard some of you quote it back to me. And thank you for that. That's, that's part of my job is to give you something to say. Amen. So of all the things discipleship is about, discipleship is about, listen to me very carefully, the inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life so that the life of Jesus that's in you will become visible, listen to me, through you. He came inside of you because he wants to live through you. Okay? Are you seeing this? So if the inward reality of the new birth, this, this, by the way, listen to me now, this is something, and I've got a whole bunch of verses on this, but we're about out of time for tonight, so let me just try to remind you, and we'll look at these maybe next week, where Ephesians 4 says that we have to grow up into Jesus in all things, that we have put on Christ. I'll tell you where this really um, you know, kind of hit home for me and in a, in a, in a, in a, you know, exemplified for me. Um, is, is obviously I've seen other people did it, probably did it myself, but when John Mark, as a, as a toddler, slipped his tiny feet into my big old shoes and would clump around the house. Well, now he's a grown man, about to get married, and his foot's about as big as mine. But in those days, he had on my shoes, but he hadn't grown into them yet. See, we've put on Christ, but we haven't grown up into him yet. We're growing up into him. Come on now. We're growing up into him. And, and growing up into him is another way of saying the inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. Are you seeing this? And, and this is not one of those, now you see it, now you don't, or now you don't see it, now you do. This is, this is something that, that goes in, in increments and degrees. This is why Paul said to the Philippians, whatever degree you have attained, let's walk by the same rule. In other words, Whatever growth you've experienced, don't back down from there. Let that become the new platform in your life and move upward and continue to move upward uh, from there and from there. Uh, Proverbs, let's see, what's today? It's today's proverb, right? March 16th, the way of the righteous winds upward. It's an upward call of God, Philippians 3. Okay, are you still with me? Am I losing you? still with me? Okay. So the inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life Okay. What's the greatest measure of that? That's it, brother. The love is the greatest measure of that. Paul is not saying spiritual gifts aren't important. Paul's not saying knowledge isn't important. Paul isn't saying sacrifice isn't important. Paul isn't saying giving isn't important. All those things that he lists uh, in the first part of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he's saying, look, you can have all of those things to their highest degree and highest level. And people will think you're some kind of spiritual giant. But if you don't have love, you're just making noise and taking up space. Because that's, that's, not, that's not the most important measure. 
the most important measure is the love. Now let's go back to it, and we'll finish. John 13, Jesus said, here's the new commandment, guys. I want you to love others like I love you. See, if you think you can do that without him, you, 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 bless your darling heart and ignorant head, as Brother Hagin used to say, right? Amen. In other words, he didn't set an impossible bar to make you feel inferior. He set a bar that you could never attain on your own, but can easily and joyfully attain with him. So notice now, loving other people like he loves them, if he's inside of you and, and, and we're learning how this inward reality of the new birth becomes an outward expression of life, again, the greatest measure of its expression is not how much Bible verses you know. That's important. Learn them, know them, memorize them, quote them, confess them. But the greatest measure and the greatest expression of Christ in you is the love. Amen. You got that? All right, stand with me. Praise God. Now, I don't want to mess up um, what we've already laid down, but I want to give you something to think about, and I want to give you something to chew on, okay? Um, should I do this or not? I'm going to do this, all right? Ephesians 4 says that we have to grow up into Jesus. Can I tell you who the absolute best example that ever will be of what it looks like to grow up into Jesus is? Can I tell you who that is? Anybody want to guess? It's Jesus. Jesus is the absolute best example of, of, of somebody's um, life giving expression, right? Their physical, daily life reality giving expression to what's true about them inwardly. That don't make sense, Pastor Mark. Well, think about it. He wasn't born a 30-year-old man. He was born an infant who didn't even know he was in the world for the first two and a half years. I'm saying the best example of what it looks like to grow up into Jesus in all things is Jesus because he grew up into who he truly was. The inward reality of his true self and true identity. Come on, man. Became an outward expression of his daily life. You know he didn't. He, he wasn't born on this earth knowing everything. As, as the eternal son of God, he's all-knowing. When he said yes to the plan of climbing inside a physical body and living, listen now, he lived in a physical world experiencing the limitations of a physical body. The Bible says he grew in stature. That means what? He went from a baby to a toddler all the way through those stages, right? But he didn't just grow in stature. He grew in wisdom. You know, the Bible says he learned obedience. That doesn't mean he disobeyed. Guess what that word learned means? Guess what that word learned? Manthano. Let me tell you why Jesus was such a good disciple maker. 
But before he ever made disciples, he was one. He was one. You see, it was of no coincidence that he found himself in the scriptures, in Isaiah. Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit didn't just lead him to the commandments? Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't just learn the commandments? But the Holy Spirit led him to all those beautiful prophecies about the Messiah. I don't, I, I don't know how old he was when he started realizing, that's talking about me. That's who I am. I'm the one that can heal the sick. I'm the one who can set the captives free. I'm the one that Father God in heaven was talking about through this great prophet. He came to that realization. And my, how the inward reality of his virgin birth became this most beautiful outward expression of life. Can't wait to tell you more about all that. Father, you're good to us. We love you. Thank you for helping us. Beautiful Savior, what you've done for us. Oh, what you've done for us, what you put on the line for us. Your love truly is reckless. The risks that you took to give us the chance, to give us the opportunity to say yes to a Father who desired us and longed for us and prayed for us and wrote books about us throughout the eons of time past. And Father, here we are tonight because you loved us and because Jesus said yes to the plan and because the Holy Spirit drew us and gave us the ability to call him Lord. Oh, Father, forgive us for ever thinking we were smart enough to find you. You found us, Lord. You found us. And despite our best efforts to run from you, you chased us down. Oh, sweet Jesus. May the inward reality of our new birth become an ever-increasing outward expression of life that glorifies you, Father, in everything we say and do. In Jesus' name. And amen. Praise God. I love you. Thank you for being here this evening.